We're going to continue our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, thank Jim for uh, teaching last week. We were on vacation last week and had a, had a great time there, but thankful that Jim helped me out there. So we're going to continue back in Ecclesiastes. And of course, most of you know the book. Most of you have been in here from the first class, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but what we have here, as you know, a book written by Solomon, um, the great king. Um, you could say he had a little bit of money, pretty wealthy guy, kind of smart. You know, he was full of wisdom. Um, and I'm so thankful that we have this book in our Bible. We've, we've talked about this before, that so many people can look at this book and see the negative side of it. And I personally don't. I mean, you know, I guess you can look at it how you want to look at it, but I'm encouraged by it, and I'm glad it's in here, and I can definitely uh, read it and go through it and apply it to my life and the way I live and the way I see things and the way when things happen to me, how I react to them. Uh, so I'm very thankful that, that these, these writings are in this Bible for us. So, of course, Solomon, he, he you know, as we've talked about from chapter 1, uh, his goal was set out to do everything he can think of under the sun, right? Anything he can think of that would give him pleasure, uh, happiness, um, just good feeling, whatever. He's trying to find what is that combination or that one special thing that he can do to bring joy and happiness here on this earth, you know, here under the sun. And, you know, we talked about how he's used uh, his wisdom, right? He's used wisdom to try to find this thing that's missing, this happiness, here on this earth, and that didn't work. We know he's used his, I guess you could say, his education or his smarts or whatever you want to call it as, as far as or architectural side of things, as far as buildings and great places and gardens and pools and uh, you name it, and he had it built for him. And again, that didn't bring happiness. So then, of course, you would think, well, let's just have fun and party and do what you do when you party and just have a good old time and blow money and you know, whatever, but did that bring him the happiness that he was looking for on this earth? Sure didn't. All of them things that he did, every time, what was the outcome? What would he always say? <laughs> it's all vanity. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. There's nothing to it. It's just like grasping for the wind. There's nothing there. So, <clears throat> so we got up. You know, that's kind of what we, things in a nutshell, really the book in general, but we've made it all the way, all the way. <laughs> we've made it up to the end, towards the end of chapter 4. Um, I'm not going to try to really go back and uh, say a whole lot about, you know, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and pretty much up to 4. Um, you guys have been following along pretty good, made some great comments, which I'm very thankful for and appreciate. So anytime tonight, if you have a comment or want to add anything, definitely just uh, speak up or raise your hand or whatever. So if I remember right, we ended up in chapter 4, around verse 7 and 8, if I'm remembering halfway straight. Because um, I think we ended up, how about the fool and his hands, he can consume his own flesh, being a lazy person and doing nothing, and it's better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Uh, we talked about that a little bit. Um, 
So we got down to verse 7 and 8, uh, and this is going to get into a little bit of, you know, talking about your success, and we're going to talk about, you know, we strive for success and all the, the positive things, but if you can't pass it on to somebody, you know, it kind of makes you think, right? You know, why are you really doing some of the things that you're doing if you can't really pass it on? So let's read verses 7 and 8, uh, chapter 4. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There was one alone without companion. He has neither a son nor a brother. Yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toll and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. So he says there is one alone without companion. And so Solomon's kind of thinking about this now, about a man being alone and, you know, by himself and no one really to share things with. You really... No friends or no real, or no family or no real close friends, you know, to really share things with. Uh, and it says, yet there is no end to all his labor, nor is the eyes satisfied with riches. Um, so here you have a man that's working hard, um, doing the things he needs to get done. But who does he have to share all this with? And why, he just wants to gain more and more, and he's asking why. Why are you... You know, why, why, you know, if you can't really nothing to pass along to anybody, and I know most of y'all are probably like I am, when you work hard and good things happen, you want to share it with somebody. You know, that's when I come home and tell Cheryl and the boys and vice versa if something good happens to them or they are successful at something, you want to share it with somebody, right? And I mean, that's just human nature. But he's like, in this scripture here, Solomon's like, you know, what, what is there to that? If you have no one to share these things with, uh, for whom do I toll and deprive myself of good? Um, and of course, he's again talking about things under the sun. But when it comes to, you know, vanity and there's no real substance to it, you know, in the end, you know, there's really no happiness there, I guess you could say. So. So you could say the, the preacher in this instance or Solomon uh, was entirely correct if you're looking at things under the sun perspective. Um, so if there's no such thing as an eternal accomplishment, I guess you could say, one doesn't even have the potential satisfaction of passing, you know, anything on to, to anybody else. You know, it just kind of ends with him, and that's all there is to it. And then he just says, without friends, or you could say without a friend or family, what are accomplishments at that point? It's just vanity. They're all vain, too. There's no, no point to it or nothing to it. It's all, all in vain. All right, let's get down. Any comments or anybody want to add anything to that? There's an awful lot of people in here to be quiet tonight. I've seen a lot less than this be a lot more louder than this, so don't be scared. Unless y'all are thinking, man, if we just shut up, he might get through this class. So <laughs> what you laughing at, Steve? <laughs> all right, let's keep on going then. Let's, uh, verse 9, let's read 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? 
Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So he says here's two or better than one. Um, and I think we would all agree with that, right? I mean, that's kind of what we just talked about here before this, as far as companions and friends and whatnot. Um, several things run through my head when I think about this, two being better than one or as far as a partner or, or friend or what have you. But he says because they have a good reward for their labor, uh, we, we can always accomplish more as a team, right? It's, I mean, it's just a fact. No matter what you're doing, two people doing the same thing or accomplish a lot more. Whether you're selling something, whether you're making a bed, or whether you're what? Filing taxes. Filing taxes. And then, I'll just say in an interesting too, typically when that one mate passes away just soon after the other. So <laughs> seems like forever, Karen said. <laughs> seems like forever. That's what my father in law tells me. He asked me how many years I've been married. I tell him 25. He's like, he said, I've been married a lot longer. He said, I'm working on my second life sentence right now in his marriage. <laughs> I think he means half of it, though. Just kidding. <laughs> All right, so two are better than one. Uh, if they fall, one will lift up his companion. Uh, when two work together and live together, they can help each other out in difficult times. And, Grady, I was thinking about you when I was kind of getting these things together because you know what the buddy system is. We have the buddy system. Mike, I'm sure you guys have the buddy system. No buddy system. <laughs> they didn't do nothing dangerous enough to need a buddy. Ah, uh, that's his buddy. I need this. I need that. So in the military, a buddy system, you, always, you never do nothing without your buddy. If you go somewhere, you take your buddy with you. Because you never know when you're going to be in that situation where your buddy's going to save your life. Your buddy's going to come through for you. He's going to help you out or whatever. So every aspect of life, it's always good to have the buddy system. You know, we've proven that over and over. Um, but he says, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Um, so here we have Solomon understood that everybody needs help, right? And it's definitely a blessing to both to give and to receive the help. You know, whether you're, which side of the buddy you're on, it's always good to, to have it and that you are able to do that. Because, uh, as you know, you might be the guy or the girl needing the buddy help, and then vice versa, you might be the one to help somebody out. So it works both ways, that's for sure. Then he says, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. That's... Makes sense? But how can one be warm alone? So again, he just reemphasizes how two together, they can bring comfort to each other, comfort your lives with, with each other. So, though one may be overpowered by another, two, with can, stand, two can withstand him. So again, you know, this could be security or this could be in time of need or struggle or whatever. Again, common sense, right? You know, anytime you're in any, that type of situation, it's always to have a buddy with you or somebody that can help you out or, like we say, somebody to watch your back. You know, we all need somebody to watch our back sometimes. So, 
So these four verses show us a great value of human relationship, right? Uh, that obviously two are better than one. Uh, living and working together, you know, there's a great advantage there. Um, working, you know, whatever, two is always and typically better than one. I know it's not always better. You can always get stuck with that one buddy that you just soon not be with, but see? Yeah. And that's fine if he's the one stuck in the hole. Not you, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point though you know is it a true buddy I mean you need to be on the same page and have the same agenda the same goals yeah that's right Janice yep alright we might as well just go there <clears throat> a threefold cord is not quickly broken that's where I was going next anyhow only other thing I was going to say out of these first four verses here or these four that we just read I'm sorry uh, productivity they have a good reward for their labor Help in need, if they fall, one will lift you up, you know, lift up his companion. Comfort in life, they're there to help keep you warm. And safety and security, you know, two, with, two can withstand better than one. So a threefold cord is not quickly broken. <clears throat> and I'm curious to see what some of y'all may think about this. Um, this is kind of the, Solomon kind of gives a final line to this section with this dealing with the goodness of companionship. Um, and he notes that a threefold is not quickly broken. Now, there's d- some different thoughts, and Jim, I, I don't know if you have your <laughs> have a thought on this or not, too, but there's a few different thoughts, and I know we're th- talking about everything under the sun, but some people can read this that, you know, and think, like Janice was saying, you could even say you and Scott and God. You know, that would kind of be the three. I mean, it would be tough to break that, right? Two Christians and you know, of course, you're going to be connected with God if you're a Christian. But there, that three chord, how strong that would be. But then I was also reading, too, how back in that day, that three chord, um, uh, three chord was like the toughest thing at that point that was made. That was like the toughest chord, I guess, that maybe you could buy at Walmart at that time or whatever. That was like the latest and greatest, so it was not easily to be broken. So he was trying to just make the point of how tough. Grady, were you going to? I saw you. Yep, that's true. And I, I was reading somewhere, too, kind of along that. I mean, he's talking about that could be family, too. Like Christian family, the more the, the, more the better. You know, the stronger you're going to be as a family if it's just you. But if you, you know, your spouse or your kids or whatever, and you're all Christians, you know, you're, how much tighter and stronger you're going to be, you know? Yeah. And that's what I was thinking, too, when it said that back in that day, the three-chord was the strongest thing you could get your hands on, which that may be true or not. I can't validate that. All I can read it and, and believe it if you want to, but you're right. He's just talking about the strength, the numbers. So anything else? I'm glad we answered that question about the buddy system, though, Steve. So no, absolutely. And when you were saying that, I thought about our good old brother Chuck. I know y'all remember the what he'd always say about the fireplace, and I think he went over to somebody's house, and somebody hadn't been in church in a while, or maybe some coals or something, and he'd take a piece out and set it by its side, away from all the other logs, and what does it do? You know, it's going to sit there and go out. It's going to die out. Put it back on the fire. It's going to fire back up. So same, same thing there, you know. Good point. All right. We'll keep moving on. I think we got the grasp of that pretty good there. I'm going to read now 13, 
Uh, let's do 13 to, through 16. We'll just go through the rest of the chapter. Starting in verse 13, chapter 4. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king, who will be uh, admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, although, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walk under the sun. Uh, they were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will, will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Again, these last few uh, four verses here, uh, as I was studying and reading different things, um, it can be obviously interpreted a, a few different ways, uh, but we can't miss the main theme either way you look at it. Um, you could look at this as the, the poor and the, uh, the example of a poor uh, and wise youth or an old foolish king, and you could just leave it at that. And you could fill in the blank, you know, you can read and it would make sense. And there's some that think maybe this is talking about King Solomon and his son Jeroboam. Uh, that can kind of fit in here as well, too. Uh, Solomon the king, old and foolish, and Jeroboam, the one who comes out of prison. And they were talking figuratively, of course, uh, out of Egypt. Or it could have been maybe Solomon experienced this or saw this happen in another region or another country nearby or something. And he just captured that and, and wrote that for us. So no real, no real way to know for sure. But whatever the case, the point's still there. Uh, the youth is poor, in prison, uh, but he's wise, right? Uh, the king's old, foolish, and he's set in his ways. And in the end, the country will always be better served by the wise youth than a foolish king. So no matter how you want to look at that and dice it up, in the end, you know, it's always better, or it will be better to have a wise youth running than the foolish king. But then he also mentioned something that we've mentioned several times in this class. He says, yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. How many times have we talked about that? It's going to be just like the same old thing. Another king comes into place. He does his good things, whatever, whatever. Next generation comes along, and what happens? they like, king Who? Uh, we don't know what he did. We don't know who you're talking about. And it says if he lived, you know, if, if, if he lived and that lasted his entire lifetime, which back then we know that typically didn't happen, it would be pretty remarkable. Uh, the next generation, like we are today, they're going to be like, who, who are you talking about? How easy we forget about those that are before us, you know, all the good that they've done. It ain't going to take no time. Everybody's sitting here. You know, it, once we're gone, and it's like you're forgotten for the most part, especially when that generation that was living in your time, once they're gone, that's really all you have is a few stories here and there. Jeff? Yep. No, you're right. I mean, that's everything. Like I said, and I think of Frankie, and he knows more about the NBA than I think most people. But he can rattle off so many names. I don't know half the people he's talking about because he keeps up with them way back. He can tell you stats of people – Way a long time ago, and I'm telling you, it comes the NBA, he's he's going to know it. So, but most people, unless you really dive into it, you ain't going to know what you're talking about. So, I think we all get the point there. How soon we're forgotten um, once we're gone. 
Any other comments or anything? We're going to wrap up chapter 4 and move into chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to here rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and, not, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth, Janice. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. There's a lot right here, um, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, but for the first time, we're kind of seeing now Solomon is kind of, I guess you could say, counseling or warning at this point, uh, if you kind of look, walk prudently when you go to the house of the Lord and draw near to hear rather than give the sacrifice of fools. And remember, you know, we're, we're talking mainly, for the most part, of things under the sun. So here we have Solomon kind of changing gears a little bit. You know, he's kind of going a little bit of a different direction here when he's all, almost like, look, listen up. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to give you a good piece of information here. This is going to be good for you that are even living here under the sun that aren't, you know, faithful to the Lord. This is still good things to live by. I'm going to tell you some things that will benefit you if you'll do them, you know, even if you don't believe or follow God. He says walk prudently. What in the world does prudently mean? Let me tell you. It's guard, okay, yep, that's it. It says walk Prudently in a way that shows care and thought for the future. So you could say walk in a way that shows care and thought for the future when you go into the house of the Lord. Uh, so again, Solomon's bringing some pretty good information here. Uh, and it doesn't contradict his under the sun thinking, you know, even apart from eternity, still always wise and a smart idea to honor God, right? And walk prudently when you go into the house of God. Uh, and like Jeremy said, he's saying, hey, watch your step, look out, be cautious. Um, you know, if you've ever ridden on a bus or an airplane, which most have, um, you know, what, what do they tell you when you're getting off the airplane? You know, hope you enjoyed your flight, watch your step, you know, or if you get off a bus or whatever, you know, they're, they're always, you know, thank you and please watch your step. Well, why do they tell you that? Why, why, why are they saying that for they don't want to get sued and have to go through all the paperwork. Uh, no, they don't want you to fall and stumble and get hurt. They know if you don't watch your step, you're probably going to fall and get hurt. Something bad is going to happen. So they're warning you, you know, be careful, watch your step. So this is what Solomon's doing here. He just, you know, from the very beginning, he says, walk prudently when you go into the house of the Lord. Be careful, watch your step. Uh, you know, heed, heed the warning. Um, and we always have to make sure, I, I, you know, we always need to make sure for us today. So, you know, our motives, and there's warning there for us too. You know, we need to always make sure when we come together to worship, you know, and to me this is another good thing I like about this too. You know, I think we could all agree in this room how worship should be conducted, the acts of worship. And Jim has spoke about this a lot too, but... There's a lot to do with getting ready for worship. Your mindset, before you even step foot in this building, 
before the worship service begins, there's a process involved with that. You know, and that's kind of what Solomon's saying here. And we're going to read some more, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more. But I always know when you come through these doors, it's not about you, and it's not about me. You know, I'm not here to, to please somebody, and I'm not coming here expecting somebody to entertain and please me. When we come through that door, we're coming here to worship God. You know, and we should never expect someone to treat us special or treat, or you know what I mean? It, it's not about us. Don't, you know, you've always hear people that leave church and say, you know, I, so-and-so, they didn't speak to me at all. You know, that, that really got me. They didn't even look at me or speak to me. Well, one, you didn't go speak to them. Two, it's not about us. It's not about me and it's not about you. You know, it's our attitude and our heart when we come through these doors to worship God. So, Tony and Grady and... <laughs> yeah, and again, remember why you're here. You know, why we're, we're coming through these doors to worship an almighty God. That's never to be taken lightly, you know? And I think a lot of people, I mean, it's easy to, to fall into whatever you want to call it, but, you know, I think we need to check ourselves a little more or all the time before we come through the door that one, it never comes just a habit or I'm just going to show up because, you know, I don't want somebody to, oh, where were you at? You know, whatever. It should never be about any of that. It should always be about the worship and worshiping God. Did Yeah. And we've mentioned several weeks before that even the non believers whether they admit it or not, you're enjoying everything that God created. So whether they admit it or not, and he's saying here, you know, let, let me tell you, let me give you a warning, and it's things that are good for everybody, no matter what you think or believe, this is just a good practice and some things you might want to pay attention to, you know. So good point, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we're definitely going to get... Maybe not tonight, but we're going to get to that. Um, one thing I had here, too, I, I picked up. It says, fruitful and acceptable worship begins before it begins. Fruitful and acceptable worship begins before it begins. And again, I think we've heard lessons from Jim over and over about that. Uh, begins before your foot comes through that door. All right, so it says, draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. Uh, and this is going to go into what we're talking about as far as the speech and the sacrifice of fools or the hasty speech uh, that we're going to see as, as we keep going just a little bit. Um, but Solomon, he's telling us to come to the house of God to hear. Uh, Barbara, come to the house of God to hear rather than to speak. Uh, and worse than that, speak without even thinking or foolishly thinking. Um, and I do want to get this last little bit here. It says to hear, which is to pay attention or to obey. Um, somebody, well, let me, I'll read right here. First Samuel 15 and verse 22 um, kind of goes along with what we're saying here. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to eat and to heed than the fat of rams. So saying pretty much the same thing in Samuel. Glenn? Man, I wish we didn't run out of time tonight. I'm getting excited because I had a lot I wanted to say tonight. 
you have to come back next week because I, I, got, I got some good stuff I've been excited to, to tell you all. So come back next week. We're going to stop right there. Thank you.